Good day. Welcome to the Corey Morgan Show. I am indeed Corey Morgan. This is my hour every week with the Western Standard where I cover some news, get some ranting out, and talk to interesting guests who offer us insight on all sorts of issues. And uh, today is no exception as a good show. I got Dan McTeague coming on in a little while. He's with uh, Canadians for Affordable Energy, or you might know him more for GasBuddy.com. He, he did a lot of work as a, uh, you know, pointing people in the right direction to find good prices at the pump for gasoline and, and a lot of uh, work analyzing fuel prices, energy prices, things such as that. And of course, it's a big issue going on right now as well. I, I put that as the afterthought. He was actually a liberal member of parliament back in the day. These were pre-Trudeau days. And if, if you've seen Mr. McTeague's uh, commentary these days, he, he's not a, a big fan of the Trudeau liberals. He's of more of the old stock when, when liberals were still somewhat sane uh, versus the, the ideological lunatics we have under uh, Prime Minister Hammerhead. So uh, let's get on to uh, speaking of, you know, the actions of Prime Minister Trudeau and, and some of the things his government has done and uh, some of the stuff that's really been hitting the fan out in the West lately this week. So the words, uh, her words were loaded and uncompromised. So when the Western Standards, Nigel Hannaford at a press conference the other day asked Premier Daniel Smith what she will do to fend off the proposed federal incursion into Alberta's jurisdiction with electrical, electrical generation, she finished her answer basically saying, we will go our own way. That's her own words. Now, Smith isn't saying the government's going to pursue an independence referendum in Alberta anytime soon, but she's well aware, too, that her statement left room for people to take that as an unspoken threat. Alberta's premier is an experienced and skilled communicator. Her choice of words was no mistake. Now, in the near future, Alberta will go its own way with the current plan to reach net zero emissions by 2050, no matter what Ottawa thinks. The goalposts, though, are 15 years apart. Whereas, you know, Gilboa wants to reach that goal at 2035. And there's little indication that Gilboa or Smith are willing to even entertain the notion of changing their targets. So this battle is just beginning. Now, Gilboa's following the typical liberal playbook. He's slapping down the West to win support in the East. The net zero electric generation targets are going to be easily met in Ontario and Quebec, where they're rich in hydroelectric resources and they have nuclear reactors. The 2035 net zero target for Alberta, though, is utterly impossible to reach without crippling Alberta's economy and threatening domestic energy security. Right now, fossil fuel supplies almost 80% of the province's energy needs, and that can't change that much in 12 short years. The province has no major rivers to dam, and the way Canada works, it would take decades to get a large-scale nuclear power generation plant up and running if it was ever even approved. I mean, despite years and in billions in investment in solar and wind generation projects, they still only supply a small percentage of the Alberta power grid. And they'll always need to be backed up with gas generators for the days when the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow. It does happen. Smith can't bend on that, and she won't bend. And Gilbo won't budge either, so what next? Well, this battle's surely going to head to Canada's courts, and it'll move at the typical glacial pace. So it's going to be a war fought in slow, slow motion with plenty of heated rhetoric as the challenges creep through the system. Eventually, the Supreme Court will rule on the dispute, and it will rule in favor of the Liberal government. I mean, the Constitution's little more than a set of suggestions when it comes to protecting Alberta's constitutional authority and jurisdiction in energy generation. We established that when the Supreme Court upheld the carbon tax. The court is stacked, and when it feels that it's in the public good, particularly central Canada's public good, uh, you know, when it feels it's better to step on Alberta's rights in that case, it'll step on Alberta's rights every time. Now, Premier Smith is saying she's willing to pull out all the stops 
to stop Ottawa's incursion upon the province. Now, time will tell if she really means it, though, because once the battle is finished in the courts and Alberta has lost, the federal government will then move on to the punitive stage if we don't cooperate out here in the West. They'll cut transfer payments as uh, they demand capitulation and the impact Albertans will be harsh. We'll be starved of the transfers of our own money back to us. At this point, there's only going to be one thing that will make Ottawa back off. Alberta needs to begin the process of truly going its own way. No doublespeak, no veiled threats. Alberta needs to work towards invoking a referendum on independence under the Clarity Act. The only other option is a surrender to the Trudeau Liberals. And that would only open the door, of course, to more incursions. We might as well just give up having a provincial government. No, I, I don't expect Premier Smith to start threatening a move towards provincial independence. At least not yet. Most Albertans would still prefer to see the standoff somehow settled within Confederation, or at least for now. Once all the legal challenges have failed and all of the tools have been taken out of the toolbox, used and broken, only one path is going to remain. And that's the path to full independence. Now, time will tell whether Premier Smith is going to be willing to take that path. She is the most independence-minded, uh, inclined Premier Alberta's had to date, though. So we've got some interesting times ahead of us. All right, so that's kind of where I'm setting the stage today. We've got an interesting fall coming along in, in politics, as always. So uh, let's get in with our news editor, Dave Naylor, though, and, and see what else is happening out there in the world for our check-in. Hey, Dave, how you doing? I'm doing okay, Corey. How, how are you handling the heat? Oh, I like it. I, I love heat. Bring it well, on. I thought, I thought you were more of a winter guy. No, oh, I despise winter. Jane uh, likes uh, the cooler weather, yes. <laughs> you, you've heard me whine about winter enough to know how much mm -hmm. I hate it. I had a laugh this week on some of the uh, the other media's headlines where it's, uh, oh, heat warning, you know, temperatures to soar, take precautions. It's going up to 30 degrees and it's summer. Like, what do people expect? It's summer. Well, it seems this is the first time ever. I mean, they act like it, don't they? I remember many 30-degree days when I was a kid, too. I'd still be kicked out of the house and have to deal with it. I survived. Exactly. Come back when the sun's going down. Uh, one group of people, Corey, that's not having a very good time this summer right now is uh, in the Northwest Territories, and that's where uh, some of our news focus uh, uh, has been uh, this morning. RCMP uh, charged uh, some kids uh, with starting an arson fire up there, and that's sort of continuing uh, along the way that Alberta went and, uh, and parts of BC where all these fires break out, and then it turns out, uh, you know, it's not climate change, it's, uh, it's actually arson. Uh, so we've got the story up there with, with uh, some RCMP-supplied video of uh, of the kids setting the fire. Uh, the fire itself is now within 16 kilometers of uh, Yellowknife, the uh, capital of the Northwest Territories. Uh, so things there are, are tense, and uh, you know they're 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 praying for some rain, but uh, uh, I don't think it's coming. Also praying for rain are the people down near uh, Pincher Creek. Uh, that area is the latest in Alberta to be declared a uh, uh, disaster area uh, for the crops uh, because of the uh, the lack of rain. Uh, we've got a story from our uh, business expert, Sean Polzer, on uh, how the uh, the influx of uh, people moving here from uh, place other places in Canada has uh, kept the Calgary housing market uh, a booming. Uh, house prices in Vancouver and Toronto. Uh, compared to Calgary. Calgary is about half the price. And uh, we've got a story on, the, uh, if you remember, Corey, during the pandemic, uh, the Liberals had all these uh, ventilators stored away, spent like hundreds of millions of dollars on them, never used. Uh, well, now apparently a lot of them have been given to uh, the Ukraine 
to help in their their war the war effort. So that's what we've got up now. Uh, coming up shortly, we've got a former NBA uh, player uh, musing about throwing on a wig and joining the women's league, uh, as men are doing with a lot of women's sports these days to try and uh, mock gender. And he figures he can score 60 points a game uh, in the women's league. And he's seven foot tall, Corey, so I wouldn't uh, put it past him. And uh, Mr. Polzer's got a story coming up on uh, uh, Germany, desperate for natural gas, uh, buying it from other places in the world because, as uh, Prime Minister Trudeau said, no business market here for it, Corey. None at all. So Wonderful. Well, up. I guess one bright side, maybe the WNBA will finally get a little bit of a bump in its ratings. Yeah, they're not uh, not very good. And, hey, speaking of women's sports, uh, shout out to the English uh, women's soccer team uh, uh, made the final. It's uh, England's first World Cup final since 1966. So we're all going to have to get up early Sunday morning in the middle of the night and watch that game. I look forward to you telling me how it went. Ah, you know I will. All right. Thanks, Dave. Take care, Corey. That is our news editor, Dave Naylor. As you can hear, there are lots of uh, things. News items are always coming down the pipe. We're constantly putting them up. I think near 50 pieces a day sometimes are going up there. There are no other news sites in the West or I think in Canada that are really putting up that much news content, our own content. We have reporters. We have columnists. Those pieces are getting up there. The reason we can do that, guys, is because of subscribers. We're independent media. We've been Banned. Well, I wouldn't say banned, but we can't put our stuff on Facebook anymore. You know, the battle's going on with Ottawa because they're trying to bail out their legacy media buddies. We're not with that bunch, but we need subscribers to do it. So keep that in mind. If you've subscribed already, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. If you haven't, get on their westernstandard.news slash membership. It's $9.99 a month, uh, $100 a year, like a newspaper subscription, and it'll get you past that pesky paywall, and you can see all those stories as they're coming. Hey, come on, help share our stuff, get it out there, spread it around. We can build that audience. We don't have to let the government dictate how media is going to work in this this new and changing world with things. And yeah, we cover some some fun and interesting stories. That NBA one's interesting. We saw that in Canada recently with, I guess it was a, a female power lifter or, a, you know, a former male power. I, I can't keep up with the terms anymore. You know, I don't, trans doesn't bother me. I'm not as hung up on it with some other people. Hey, if that's your thing, good for you. Right on. I, I will certainly refer to anybody by whatever gender pronouns they prefer once they've told me or whatever, things like that. But we can't keep trying to deny physiological realities. That, that, that's where the problem gets. We can't pretend that there's not a physiological advantage uh, when somebody's entering women's sports if, if they were initially biologically a male. There's just no pretending. You know, they're asking us to set aside reality. And it's unfair. It's unfair to the women who trained so hard, who put that time in to try and compete. You know, we see that in the swimming, and now we're seeing with powerlifting, of course. Um, I don't know. Reality's got to sink in. And the thing is, what it does is it sparks up. But the absurdity when you the, the activists push into areas like that is the backlash ends up hitting other people who just want to live their lives and move on. You know, it, it adds to the division and actually generates some of the hate because there are some hateful people out there. But it's just getting ridiculous. So maybe, though, I, I, you know, I, I'm sure it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but if an NBA uh, individual is talking uh, about popping into the WNBA and, and, and taking part, well, maybe it helps expose a little bit of just, you know, how s stupid it's getting, guys. I'm not seeing any uh, people who are born biologically female trying to get into the NFL. 
uh, for some reason that just doesn't seem to work out, even though apparently biologically they're the same. It doesn't seem to happen. All right. But anyway, we get those stories. Uh, the other one is, yeah, with Yellowknife, you know, and uh, Arthur Green was covering that. He's always covering a lot of stuff up in Edmonton and our, our Alberta stuff. We're seeing that a lot. We're seeing that these fires, yes, they're unusual this year. They're high. But what's also high is once they investigate, their, the, the amount that were set by people. And the, the legacy media is jumping all over Premier Smith because she wouldn't jump on the global warming bandwagon with it. She pointed out that we've got an arson problem. And we do. <laughs> these, we found that in Yellowknife. Yes, here yet again, more arsonists behind it. Now, the bush is tinder dry, and we are in the midst of a bad drought throughout the West right now. So, I mean, it's going to burn harder and hotter and uh, we can debate the, the rationale behind it, but let's, you know, it's not spontaneous combustion, guys. We've had people getting behind it. The earth isn't boiling, but it is hot right now. Don't light fires in the trees. So uh, either way, I hope for the best for people, but uh, you know, we will report on those things even if legacy media doesn't want to talk about it because those are the facts and those are press conferences. That wasn't a, a theory coming out of uh, Yellowknife. I, I saw that. That was a, a press conference from the RCMP in Yellowknife. Yes, they'd arrested four guys for lighting the fires up there. So uh, let's just point to where the problems really are. Speaking of problems, speaking of stupid, I love speaking of stupid. It's one of my favorite subjects and there's never uh, a, a short pool to draw from when it comes to our federal government. So Export Development Canada, I saw this gem. This is beautiful. Uh, they are uh, unsure of recovering millions it loaned for aircraft engines to a Mexican airline. So a startup little um, domestic airline in Mexico, uh, I guess they wanted to get some airplanes. They needed engines. So what do we do? They gave our Canadian tax dollars to this Mexican airline, said, here, we'll lend you that because, you know, we know that your credit risk is low, Right. And uh, you can run that great Mexican airline business. There's no corruption or incompetence in Mexico. You know, that doesn't happen down there. Well, lo and behold, they've gone broke. Now, why would they take millions of Canadian tax dollars, and they still haven't disclosed how many, and give them to a Mexican airline startup? Well, of course, all roads always lead to Quebec when it comes to business subsidies. It uh, was uh, uh, Pratt & Whitney uh, that was manufacturing these engines, which is based, of course, in Quebec. So... It's not enough just to take our money from productive regions, such as Alberta, Saskatchewan, and dump it into Quebec, the unproductive, the parasites of the country, and into things like Bombardier and Pratt and Whitney. It's not enough just to give the money to those companies, because even with all those subsidies, obviously their products are crap, because the only way we can get people to buy them is to give them the money to buy our products. Brilliant. Just brilliant. And uh, so now... These engines, who knows where they are? They probably melted them down in Mexico and sold them for some pesos and uh, moved back into the drug cartels where there's more, uh, you know, less corruption than dealing with the Canadian government. <sighs> this is our tax dollars at work. This is what happens. We see this all over. I mean, people keep talking about that. Look, guys, the solution is less government. It's less. We need government out of the way. You want to help the economy. It's not going to be through government trying to pick winners and losers and micromanaging and taking money from the productive and giving it to the useless. So we keep trying, and this happens on the city level. We saw this a while back when Mayor Nahed Nenshi was uh, in charge of Calgary. We had Calgary Econo Economic Development. You know, they give it a nice little name, make it sound like a chamber of commerce or something like that. No, what it is is a, a crown, an arm's length uh, corporation set up by the city of Calgary that was given a $100 million slush fund to try and draw business to the city. As far as I could tell, they, they had rocket space downtown, which went broke after a few months, and, and a few other pathetic, lackluster uh, victories, if you want to call it that. And otherwise, they just seem to 
hire uh, some, some well-connected people for some really good money to uh, talk about how they're going to help the city while not actually doing anything. But that's the usual course of these sorts of things. And uh, likewise, on a bigger scale, there's Economic Development Canada doing the same thing. And they're taking our dollars and they're pouring them in. Speaking of Angie, I haven't spoken to him a lot lately. He's always been one of my favorite uh, political punching bags. I guess you could say he's been quiet lately. No, 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 no. Too many people have missed his voice. But as we saw on the standard, it sounds like, you know, uh, our publisher, Derek Fildebrand, came up. Uh, he's had a source within the NDP. And uh, it appears that Rachel Notley could be resigning probably within the next month or two, you know, as we get into the fall session. This isn't that surprising. I mean, Notley's been in office for quite some time. She was the premier, of course, for one term. Uh, then got, uh, you know, lost an election. Then she lost an attempt to get back into it. So, I mean, she's tired out. I, I can't see them. I mean, a lot of people say she'll stick with it because they have nobody else. Well, yeah, but eventually you, you have to turn it over and you have to try. So I, I suspect uh, it's true. She is going to go. But then you start wondering who will they replace her with. And then she's one of the names that pops up. I see Marcel saying, don't speak of him, please. Sorry, I won't say his name too many more times or he might appear. But, uh, you know, it's one of the names that Fabio, uh, or otherwise known as Thomas Lukasik, is another name that's bounced around, somebody who went into the, the political background, but he still beaks off from the distance on things. You know he wants to be involved, he wants to feel important. I wouldn't be shocked to see him throw his hat in. And yeah, there's any number of NDP uh, uh, members and so on from, from Notley's caucus that I could see may taking a run for the job. But can we see anybody who's really going to take that party and, and run with it? Uh, uh, I'll have to say his name one more time. Ninchy, I could see him gaining Calgary support. But the problem is he doesn't, he's not an NDP loyalist. They, I can't see him winning their leadership for, for a couple of things. He's not a good team player. He's not going to do well with the caucus. He's not going to get support from the, the workers within the NDP. That's why positions like mayor where you're kind of an individual worked for him. Uh, so the other thing is they want people to come up through their union ranks and all the rest of it. So even though politically, I could see it. He could be one that could put them over the edge. I hate to say it, but there's still some people in Calgary that like that guy. If he was leading the NDP, he could potentially pull those votes over to win Calgary. I just can't see him taking or maintaining the NDP leadership, though, in order to do so. And of course, to be fair, he's never shown any interest in that. It's just pure speculation. But we know that guy isn't gone yet. He's, he's, he's my age. He's 52. That's still pretty young in politics. He's, he's not giving up. So we're going to see him surface somewhere. Whether it's a run for the NDP leadership, again, I doubt it, but who knows. But the time to start speculating now. At least that's what we like doing. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, so there, there's been that battle over C-18. We can't put, it's, you know, it's a shakedown. The Liberal government has been bailing out legacy media outlets. I mean, they've been outright, you know, taking millions and giving it to outlets. And they found, thought another way we can do this is to put the screws to Google and Facebook, you know, and, and start charging them for providing links. It's, it's ridiculous. It was like charging a paper boy for delivering papers. It was stupid. And it backfired. And it failed. And now, though, we're paying the price. Canadians can no longer see news links on Facebook and probably soon on Google. And people saying, oh, I never read my news on Facebook. No, that wasn't the point. It wasn't reading the news there. That's how you found your way to it. It was a tool. And we've lost that tool. But part of the battle now that Facebook didn't bluff, they said, you know, we don't need to put these news links up, and they stopped. Uh, the government said, well, we'll get them back. We'll stop advertising with Facebook because they spent money on Facebook ads. Well, 
not all of them did, though. <laughs> you know, if you're going to have a government boycott, guys, you got to get all your little ducks in a row, and they don't seem to have done that well. But again, we're talking about liberal competency, right? So uh, records at Meta Platforms Incorporated showed that, uh, yeah, uh, Citizen Services Minister, so Cabinet Minister Terry Beach, a liberal cabinet minister, is buying Facebook ads. He's still paying, giving uh, tax dollars to Facebook to buy ads, even though the government is supposedly boycotting it. These guys are inept. You know, and we're hearing that sort of speculation that Justin Trudeau may be at the end of his uh, time as well. And um, we'll see. I, I think he's going to go. I mean, some people really disputed that. There, there was discussion I, on Twitter quite a bit I had of that. You know, is, is Trudeau going to go or not? But you see, I think, and I don't think it was planned. I'm not that, you know, he does, he's not that deep. And whatever. The, the, his, his marriage has clearly got issues going on. There's a separation. Things are going on. But it gives him an out. And I mean, it wasn't a planned out, but he can use it because right now he's floundering. He doesn't know what to do. They, they, he's won two minority governments back to back. They're not going to tolerate him winning a third minority or even losing the election as it looks like he would right now. And he's not brilliant, but he probably could have realized that, okay, shuffling cabinet didn't do it. I just can't seem to gain traction in these polls. People are saying he loves the job too much. He's got too much ego. He won't step aside. I say it's the other way around. He does have enough of a brain in that little head of his, not a lot, but enough, to realize that if he runs again, he's going to get electorally spanked. He's going to be punted out of that seat, and it's going to be humiliating. This way he can say, you know, I've done all I can, and uh, now I'm, I'm going to, I want to be fair to Canadians. I want to be fair to my family and go spend time with them, and he'll step back. And he'll leave the mess for someone else to try and clean up. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. It's always speculation. I got a feeling within the next couple of months we're, we're not going to see uh, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. And some other people are saying, well, he won't call an election right now. And he's like, no, he won't. And that's what I'm talking about. The timing is about right, actually, if you're going to do it. Because that gives two years, roughly, if you were going to hopefully maintain the Liberal government that long. It gives one year, and that's how long these things take almost, you know, around now, or the better part of one, for them to have a leadership race, find and get whoever they want to have as a leader, and it gives them a year to try and establish themselves before they have to go to the polls. Because if he waits too long, then at that point, then yeah, they don't have the timeline to do it, and he's going to be in there for the end. So right now would be the time when he'd be considering uh, stepping back and, and, and uh, getting somebody else in there. Um, other people, yeah, there's speculation, you know, uh, uh, somebody's saying uh, he thinks the Trudeau separation is a hoax. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think the conspiracy is that deep. Uh, you know, they, uh, love him or loathe him. I think most of us here loathe him. I know I certainly do. But he is human. He is. And uh, his relationships are real, and I'm sure they have their ups and downs and good and bad. And uh, things just, just parted ways. I, I, I can't see any political advantage in, in having that uh, split happen and go on like that. Uh, so, I mean, I, I just, no, sorry, guys. I, I, I think he's going with it, but it was certainly nothing planned. Uh, you're, you're, you're always better off if you're in a political position to have a stable family unit going on. It's, it's, it just looks better and it's less headache. So, no, I, I don't think it's fake. And I, I don't think uh, that uh, he, he wanted to go that way necessarily. But who knows how long they, they, they've been having problems. Here's an interesting one. So uh, the federal court rejected uh, a test case of quarantine uh, orders. So, you know, there's a lot of things hitting the courts. I was talking earlier with how slowly Canada's court system works. And it, it, it is with every challenge and with everything that happens within it right now. 
Well, there was a case going forward, of, you know, basically saying charter rights were breached with uh, a lot of the mask and, and uh, vaccine mandates. And they certainly were. I mean, I, I don't think many people can look at that and say, no, you know, the rights weren't breached and with the travel restrictions and things like that. The question is whether it was a justifiable breach. But what gets me now is the government saying, well, now, you know, this is all over. And this is what uh, the judge herself said, I think it was a her, I'm sorry, it's a, it's a name I can't pronounce, so it sounds feminine, but it could be a male, it doesn't really matter. What the judge said is, there's no longer a live controversy. The dispute has disappeared since mandates are no longer enforced, thus we don't need to hear this case. Well, hang on a minute. We need it more than ever. Just because it's done doesn't mean we don't still try it and find out whether it was worth doing. I mean, that'd be like saying, well, the murder is done. The guy's dead. You know, do we want to waste time in court and everything going over? I mean, he's not going to be any less dead, that, uh, you know, for having done so. Of course, we got to put this through the courts because what happens the next time? And we know there's going to be a next time. That's why you run this through the courts now. Even though the restrictions are gone, we have to evaluate this. So we do have a basis the next time a government tries to do this to us all. That's what our courts are for. But no, no, this court said, no, we're, we're, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to re-examine this because it's done. Well, no, guys, no, we, we got some big issues. And you know what? I mean, I, again, I'm, I'm not as far over with some of the people with some of the thoughts they had on it as to why vaccines were what or what the, the pandemic was. But clearly the government did mislead a lot of people. It did overreact in a lot of ways. It certainly infringed on rights. So I, I still get people on my case, you know, because I've always talked about that. I got jabbed twice. I didn't get any more boosters. I talk about those things. Uh, but I've always, they get upset with me for even having done that. Some people, hey, it was my choice. There's where we get, get it clear, guys. I support your choice. I've always opposed the vaccine passports. I always oppose the mandates. I oppose the masking. You want to go out and vaccinate, get vaccinated though? By all means, you don't want to? Don't. We've got some people on the fringe, and I'll say that, fringe side saying my even participating in the vaccination shouldn't have happened. Well, then you're infringing on my choice, so kiss my ass. Goes both ways, guys. But... I, I think we made choices based on a lot of bad information from a government, from a government that, like I said, was overreacting. I think there's a lot of questions to be asked about the amount of money they spent on those vaccines. Who did do well out of all that? I mean, they're pushing for fall boosters to come up uh, for this year already. But as we've seen, uh, what is it? Only 6% of Canadians have gotten a booster in the last six months. We're done. We're sick of it. We're finished with it. We're not listening to the medical experts on this one anymore. We're tired of being told that we're supposed to be afraid. We're tired of being pressured into taking medications we don't feel comfortable with. So the next time this happens, and like I said, it's going to happen again, I don't think people are going to be nearly as docile and compliant as we were last time. We've been through this once before. And Lord help us. If it turns out that it really is a bad virus that's going around that could kill people, uh, you know, without a, a proper vaccine or medication or, or, or uh, quarantines and things like that. What if it's something that is far, far worse than COVID ever was? But now we've lost so much trust with the state that people won't cooperate. And even then, I'll tell you what, I won't support mandatory orders. You know what? If people were dropping in the streets from COVID and they weren't, uh, if it was hitting young people, it never did. If it was killing healthy people, it never did. 
people would have chosen to take on any mandates and things to try and avoid the spread of that disease. They, they wouldn't need the gun to their head. I know there's always individuals who wouldn't bother, but most people, believe it or not, aren't that bad. A lot of people are really stupid, but they aren't necessarily all that bad. Either way, we need to uh, uh, go into those things. Alberta Afri saying the judge said that if the mandates were properly declared, they wouldn't have violated the Constitution. No, not exactly. Uh, they, mandates like that violate it, period. I think most judges agree. It's just that they use Section 1, which is when you start inserting the word reasonable limits or, or things like that, which leaves it very wide open to interpretation. And then you can sort of set aside those things. But it was definitely infringement. When it came to travel, I mean, that was a clear infringement. I mean, it's important to have a right of mobility or the right to assembly. That's a big right. That's a serious one. It's an important one. I mean, it might not seem as important now as it used to be. The reason the right for free assembly was written into charters of rights across the world in the democratic world was because governments, authoritarians, one of the things they never want people to do is organize against them. And the way they would have to do it, you know, days prior to social media or even telephones, you'd have to all get together in the basement of a pub or at a barn or wherever you had to and actually organize person to person. And if the government could break up those organizing, that gathering, or even unions, things like that, they could stop it from happening. That's why the right to gather with other people is entrenched. That right was suspended. We couldn't go to weddings. We couldn't go to funerals. One-in-a-lifetime, you know, events. Uh, opportunity. I mean, I guess it depends on the wedding. Uh, you know, graduations, things such as that. We lost those. We had our right to assembly violated. And uh, that was suspended on the basis of Section 1. You can't, no judge with a straight face should be able to look and say that the right wasn't suspended. It certainly was. It certainly was. Um, Either way, yeah, we got a lot of scary stuff to look at in hindsight. But there's a lot of misunderstanding. People don't understand rights. We take them for granted. We are a spoiled country. We have a lot of that. When you look at the Emergencies Act, that was when our rights were suspended. That's the point of the act. Because I had people arguing with me, no, it's not. It's, nothing was violated. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. That's the point of something as extreme as the Emergencies Act is to say, this is so important. We need an act where we can set aside rights to get this under control. It should be for only for something as extreme as true riots from coast to coast or alien invasions. And even then, I'm not sure if I'd trust the government to invoke it. But the rights are suspended. You suddenly lose that right to assembly, that right to travel. In our case, rights, well, not we ever really have them, but rights to property when our bank accounts were suspended and stolen. I shouldn't say ours, mine wasn't, but many people's were. This was not a minor thing. It made Canada sound like a tin pot dictatorship. But our rights, we take them for granted. And so now, again, when we get to the point when we can look with hindsight, we have judges saying, no, we aren't even going to re-examine what happened. That's very distressing. It's very problematic because it means we've learned nothing. Well, it, we have. The judges haven't, or they don't want us to have. And, uh, yeah, I don't think the next time, as I said, there'll be another time, uh, people are going to take it as, as, as well. Plus, we're seeing the ramifications of it all now. Things we warned about. I mean, look at the inflation right now. Look at the stuff that happened with supply chains and how hard the state and the government and the pathetic legacy media were in saying, no, it had nothing to do with the supply chains. Of course it did. You morons locked people down for two years. 
you shut down travel. What do you think would happen? It was a whiplash effect. Eventually, the places that used to produce goods and services, those products got bunged up. They didn't make it through consistently. They didn't make it through directly. Prices for things spiked. Other things ran out. And we're still dealing with it. Construction, we got a lot of issues of why the housing crisis is happening. But I mean, part of the impact on, again, development, expansion and construction for a, a year and a half and some, I, let's not pretend that didn't have an impact on it. Another area, here's some data, secondstreet.org. It's Colin Craig who runs that. He's been on the show a number of times. And, uh, and this is an interesting one I saw. So from Ontario Health, it indicates the number of patients who died waiting for surgery. Now, this is the big hornet's nest open in Canada, but it's true. Died waiting for surgery in 2022 to 2023 is up 49%. Uh, from 2021, 2022, it, uh, and people say, well, if it was just a small amount, it could, you know, sound a lot higher. Okay. Well, let's get to those numbers. Uh, 2,100 people died waiting for surgery in Ontario in that period. You know, a couple thousand people. Let's talk about the people who died with something that's preventable. All of those 2,100 died just because the the timeline was too long. No, probably not all of them, but a lot did. I mean, you don't have to be a doctor to know time is of the essence when it comes to any kind of ailment injury, the faster you can get diagnosed and treated, the better your chances of survival or, uh, you know, lack of, of true dire consequences. Canada's health system is failing. It has been for a while. And it's access. This highlights the problem. This, we will declare an emergency over something that, again, that youth were emergent, you know, uh, uh, immune to, and and turn the country on its nose, and we have thousands of people dying, waiting for surgical care because we're too stubborn to admit that Canada's socialized monopoly healthcare system is a failure because we've built our stupid national identity around it. Oh, you know, the greatest Canadian was, was the founder of Canada's healthcare system. Look, we only share our system with North Korea and Cuba. Think about that. We got to chip away at this. People are dying waiting for care. Socialized medicine is rationed medicine. That's always the problem when you get this sort of thing. Sure, it's free, but you know what it's worth to have free medicine when you're dead? Yeah, nothing. And people are fleeing the country to get care elsewhere. One of the things I had that uh, I believe it was when I had uh, Colin Craig on, he talked about. A lot of Canadian doctors and healthcare professionals have been leaving Canada. They're setting up shop in other countries. And guess what? So Canadian people are taking their dollars, leaving the country, and getting Canadian practitioners to work on them outside of the country where they're allowed to pay for it. Nobody's saying, not many, I'm sure not saying, nobody, you know, because that's where the conversation always goes. Oh, you you want credit card care? You want people to, to die, uh, you know, for lack of money and such as that? No, that's, that's not the case at all. But we have to stop being so intransigent and stubborn with our system and, uh, and realize that uh, it's going to have to make some changes. I mean, the cracks, these aren't cracks anymore. These are people dying. And this, the rate with which this is happening. Like I said, in one year, the number of people dying waiting for care went up 49%. That's an alarm bell, guys. That's a big one. And uh, again, you know, thousands of people dying. So we'll light the world on fire over a handful dying. But when it's truly something going on, when it comes to Canada's sacred healthcare system, we're terrified of even considering reform. Okay, I've been blathering long enough. I see uh, Mr. McTeague in the waiting area. It looks like it looks like you're panting there. I saw the you were going to be a little bit delayed, but uh, you made it there. To we can still chat here before the the end of the show. So thanks for uh, coming on, Dan. Good to be here, Corey. Sorry, Toronto traffic. Uh, you know, oh. parking lot, the whole darn town. 
Oh, we understand. Well, put you in the right mood for our chat. You know, we still got 10 minutes here. Uh, so you're with the Canadians for Affordable Energy. And boy, you've got to have a busy, busy time. I mean, you're very outspoken on social media. But, you know, energy costs, I mean, inflation in general, and, and of course, energy costs impact all of it all the way down the line, are pressuring everybody. But our government, I guess I'll just kind of start you there, seems to want to do nothing more than, than make things even more expensive for us. More expensive and more confrontational in being expensive. They're driven by an ideology, an ideology that basically says energy can be any price. It doesn't really matter. Canadians will go along with it as long as you can uh, contrive and connive and tell them that the world is coming to an end. Uh, I mean, I, I won't get into the science of this all, but the economics clearly indicates there's a big problem in this country. You have a government that's uh, allowed energy prices to go through the roof two ways. Uh, their green policies on carbon taxes, which, Corey, you've talked about many, many times. And the second that's not discussed as much is the blocking of pipelines and regulations, which is discouraging investments leaving the country. And with it, a drop in the Canadian dollar, which is only worth 130, 135 pennies to buy one U.S. dollar. Corey, that adds uh, significantly to the price of everything. Okay, in terms of gasoline in your province, about 26 cents a litre. In my province, 28. In the Maritimes, with a 15% HST, uh, more like 30 these are real factors driving the cost of living through the roof. Yes, and you can talk about monetary policy and the government overspending and uh, printing too much money and all these other things, but we keep tap dancing around what is, in my view, the elephant in the room. Even the Bank of Canada has to recognize now, finally, after two terms of saying gasoline is, in fact, driving inflation up and down, when it's down, of course, the Liberals take credit for it. When it's up, they're conspicuously silent, as we saw today, or I should say yesterday, uh, when an announcement came that, in fact, inflation is up again. Reality is this is a country blessed with an abundance of energy, and we are despoiling and ruining it for uh, generations and undermining uh, not just affordability, but uh, I think the benefit and the gift that has been given to every Canadian of energy resources the world desperately wants, but which we have a few ideologues in Ottawa preventing it from happening. Yeah, I mean, it, it's we are an energy powerhouse, or we should be. I mean, the natural resources we're blessed with, whether it is the hydro in the east or the natural gas and oil we have in the west, but we have an ideologically driven federal government that doesn't want us to export it even. I mean, not even talking about our domestic uh, you know, use of this, because it's kind of ridiculous that we have so many energy resources. We pay such a high domestic price, but we have a prime minister telling us there's no business case to export it to other countries. And then lying, uh, as his Minister of Environment has done on many occasions, saying, you know, these are industries that are making tons of profit. Let them uh, let them pay their fair share rather than passing it on to consumers. You know, I'm not surprised. Maybe he's dangling a few too many uh, buildings and bridges and whatnot. Uh, but the reality is for most of us who have spent a bit of time in politics, some of us in the real private sector, in the real world, and those of us trying to struggle to make ends meet. Uh, you know, I don't come from a family of great wealth. Uh, my parents both lost their shirts back in the 1980s when the last Trudeau government spent so heavily that we wound up with 23, 24% interest rates. I think the country is going down that road again. And when you have leaders in this country who are determined not just to impose something that they know cannot work. Germany's proven that uh, re renewables do not work. Uh, you know, France is having trouble having to, you know, look back at coal. The UK is completely in, in, a, in, a, in a mess. Uh, it wants to now get back into permitting leases to get natural gas. Canada has all of these advantages. And yet we have a group of people in Ottawa 
uh, elites committed to shutting down the country's resources and as a result and as a consequence, shutting down our economy. It's only a matter of time before another bond rating agency comes in, downgrades our credit. And if you think, you know, uh, six or seven percent interest rates are tough to handle, wait till that happens and you have to pay 10 or 11. Then I think things will get very real. And those here, my neck of the woods in Toronto, who live in you know fantasy world, believe that their food is delivered by stork or by, uh, you know, by pixie dust, well, now have to get more real about uh, the direction taken. It's a very deliberate policy by this government to undermine the Canadian economy by throwing out everything that's good in favor of things they know did not work. So, I mean, I believe citizens are catching on. I mean, we see it in our pocketbooks. We see what's happening. And, and as you've see, said, you know, European nations have certainly had to figure it out recently. Uh, I'll ask the hardest question, though. What can we do? I mean, we know what the government should do. How do we change this government from its ideological course, though? They seem blind to it. They have 25 months to continue down this path of destruction with the NDP and with their friends in the Green. And the Bloc, of course, not in interested in anything more than just saying, hey, we're here, we're, we're, we're here to obstruct, uh, we're here at the end of the day uh, to ensure that uh, Quebec gets its fair share. Look, I think the country is in the wrong, is definitely down the, the wrong path. And to get away from there, we need a whole new uh, way of approaching this. I'm going to be very blunt about this because I've been, you know, I've never been a member of any other party but the Liberal Party. But my God, the Conservative Party today under Pierre Polyev reminds me a lot of my Liberal Party in the 1990s. Practical, pragmatic, realistic, and saying this is these are the problems. This is where we go, and this is how we're going to get there. To me, um, I can see a lot of Liberals of my generation, the ones who are still working, the ones who are still out there busting their chops, going in that direction. And I think that's something that the Conservatives should take very, very much to heart. Uh, don't don't mess it up. We have one shot at this, and uh, the country needs a new leadership badly, desperately. We can't keep the, going the way we are right now. Well, and we could be hitting other crises within this next twenty five months, particularly constitutionally or, or unity wise. I mean, the battle that's brewing up between Premier Daniel Smith and Environment Minister Gilboa. I mean, I haven't seen that sort of language, you know, between a, a premier and a federal government uh, from uh, the West. Anyways, I mean, it's it's getting more reminiscent of Rennie Levesque than anything else uh, I, I've heard uh, in a while. I mean, this could really blow up in a big way. Well, it is, and it already, I think, has become very apparent. Daniel Smith's not backing off. Scott Moe's not backing off. I suspect Emma may go the same way. But the one I've spent a lot more time working on is and looking at has been the Atlantic provinces, the so-called Red Wall. It's gone. It's evaporated. Overnight in Nova Scotia, when you saw a 30, 40 centiliter increase hitting people who happen to be uh, you know, far less better off than the rest of the country on average, when you start hitting them and impacting them and then saying, oh, here's a bit of, uh, here's a, here's a, uh, Here's a couple of pennies to pay you back in terms of a rebate, which they know don't work. When you start hitting consumers, you start making people poor, you force them to make decisions uh, that they are not comfortable with. I expect that the real blowback is going to come in provinces like Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, PEI, and Newfoundland, when on election night, when that should happen. And I think liberals know this, they lose most of their seats in that region of the country. Then the rest of it will be a steamroll. Because I think here in Ontario, with some exceptions, I think we're going the same direction as well. Yeah, well, ideals and green dreams or even family loyalty to particular parties tends to go out the window if you can't make the rent or the mortgage payment or you're worried about getting your kids through school or even buying groceries for some people. So I, I could see a definite turnabout in the Atlantic provinces. It's just my fear. I mean, especially it just made me cringe when you mentioned it. The amount of damage they could do in 25 more months, though, could be pretty excessive. 
It can, and I think Canadians have to know that, and they have to be more outspoken. You get a pollster calling you, tell them you're not happy, you're not going to support this particular coalition government. Uh, I think when it gets to 40 and 45% for the pure party of Conservatives, uh, I think uh, we may very well see Mr. Trudeau take a long walk off a surfboard in Tofino somewhere. Yeah, I was, I was speculating earlier that that might come pretty soon. But I mean, uh, you know, when you look at the pool that the, the, this Liberal Party, I, I said it when I introduced before uh, at the start of the show when you were coming on, I said, you know, you're, you're a member from back in the days when liberals were pragmatic and sane. Uh, now it's a party dominated by ideologues. I, I don't know where or who they might draw for, for a leadership that might turn things around. But I guess we could hope. I mean, there's still people out there that might uh, turn turn that party around a bit. I don't think so. I, I think the damage is done. And I think uh, at this point, it's uh, trying to protect the 70 or 90 or 100 members you think you can keep by having a transition at the, le at the leadership level. But if you're going to keep on the same dangerous path to economic perdition, good luck with that. You might be reduced to a rump, the same of which I saw in 2011. Uh, there's significant consequences and blowback coming. I think people see it every day. Every time there's an interest rate increase, more and more people's noses go on the proverbial uh, waterline. Food prices are endemically inflationary, driven by energy prices to a large extent, which this federal government seems to be committed insanely at trying to raise. We should be pulling back, removing those carbon taxes, hitting net zero hard and saying, if we can achieve it scientifically, fine. If not, scrap it, because it's an idea that does that is extraordinarily pernicious to Canada and is likely to lead not just to economic dislocation, but potentially to a constitutional crisis on a scale I haven't seen in my lifetime. And I've been around a few of them. Yeah, well, uh, I appreciate it. I mean, we, we, we can keep pointing it out at least and, and, and you know, uh, letting people know and, and at least you know, moving towards a, a better future, hopefully, with things. And, and that's what you've been doing out there. So before I let you go, uh, where can people find you uh, with the Canadians for Affordable Energy and, and uh, Gas Price Buddy and such? Yeah, sure. Uh, energy, uh, uh, affordableenergy.ca is a site uh, I often put my blogs up on. If you want gas price predictions, gaswizard.ca uh, is probably the easiest one. And uh, if you need to get a hold of me on Twitter, Gas Price Wizard. I'm usually there, uh, usually with having a little bit of fun with everybody. Yes, no, likewise, Twitter is kind of my favorite playground too, but there's some serious business goes on there as well. So uh, I appreciate you rushing in to come to talk to us today and this stuff you do, Dan. Uh, I mean, as I said, you know, it, sure, it could be a long wait, but I mean, we can mitigate the damage by continually exposing this and pushing while we can. And uh, well, just hope for the best. Back at you, Corey. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate this. All right. Thanks, Dan. Yes, that was Dan McTeague. As I said, one of the, the last of a generation of liberals who used to be sane. And uh, there, there's still a few hiding out there and everything. But the, things change, you know. And, and uh, hey, you know, if the conservatives are in too long and do the wrong things, it's time to turn around on them and look at something different, too. But they're just so ideologically driven now. I'm glad uh, Dan got in for the, the tail end of the program there, though. It's always good to talk to him. As I said, check him out online. He's very outspoken and, and uh, a good voice to listen to on energy issues. Because, hey, energy prices hit you everywhere. All right, that's all the time we've got today, guys. Boy, it does go by fast, even when I'm babbling away for a guest who was a little bit delayed. So thank you for all tuning in today on the Cowboy Network and uh, live on the rest of those Western Standard channels. One more reminder, subscribe, share. Let's beat the blockage going on on Facebook, thanks to the bad liberal policies. And uh, set aside some time, make sure to tune in, and we'll all get together and do this again next week at this time.